Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Chad. Uh, you have a panel this week. I do. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm the moderator of an all-star digital health panel. Wow. Yeah. We've got, I would say they're kind of digital health startup experts in a way. So mm-hmm. thinking about companies that are launching and growing and what makes them successful and what kind of partnerships and strategies they need. Cool. And obviously, this is an online panel. So no matter where you are, you can join it and uh, we'll have recordings of it afterwards, right? When is it? It's going to be this Thursday from 12 to 1 Eastern. Um, U.S. Eastern. U.S. Eastern. That's correct. And it is online. The cool thing about that is actually the panel is kind of representing these health and tech hubs from around the U.S. So we've got Samantha Nava from the Texas Medical Center Innovation Program, which is an accelerator that connects largely, I think, hospitals in around the Houston area with startups that are working on some of the pressing needs that they're seeing. Then we've got Michael Levy from the Digital Health Institute for Transformation out of North Carolina. And they're more of a community and education program, but they have also launched digital incubators for startups. And again, they're thinking about connecting early stage digital health startups with enterprise partners. Uh, we've got Adam Dakin from the Dreamit Health Tech Accelerator. Dreamit is a VC. So they're a venture-backed accelerator, uh, and they have a really interesting program. So they kind of break it into customer-focused sprints, identifying their startup's customer and their needs, and then investor sprints, thinking about how to match you with the right investors, how to set yourself off to pitch, and actually making those connections. And then lastly, we've got Nick Doherty from Mass Challenge Health Tech. For you and I, Mass Challenge over in our backyard, mm-hmm. and they're another kind of globally renowned accelerator program focused on a lot of digital health startups. Well, it's been exciting to watch the panel come together and the new additions to the panel announced over the last few weeks. I'm excited to listen to all their experiences and the needs of a company in the digital health space are different than normal startups. You have the regulations around private information and that kind of thing. And so some people can find it difficult to launch innovative new things quickly. That's one of the primary challenges. So I'm sure the panel will talk about that. What else are you excited to learn about from the panel? I think the role of partnerships and even advisors are kind of unique in the health tech space. You know, obviously any startup wants to have their a board of advisors, people have kind of been there, done that, have their specialties. I think this is even more so true and even more so necessary in the healthcare space because you do have all these complexities of the ecosystem and regulations, different kinds of incentives, And, you know, and actually, as I'm building the panel and thinking about questions, a lot of times I'm going back to these conversations that we've been having with Michael and Nurse 1-1 and thinking about some of the challenges he had moving from the consumer space into the healthcare space and some of the things he had to learn for the first time. And, And those are totally common, even from people who come from a medical background 
they might be learning about startups for the first time, you know, and then if you're coming from a startup, you might be learning about the medical space for the the first time. And so the role of partnerships and subject matter experts is critical for you kind of making progress. Awesome. So where can people find out more and register and submit their own questions? You can do all those things at tbot.io slash digital health event. That's digital dash health dash event. Awesome. See you there. Yeah, see you there. And we need those questions. So make sure to submit. We've got some great ones coming through. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. And I'm your other host, Lindsay Christensen. And today we're rejoined by Michael Shealy, founder and CEO of Nurse One One. Welcome again, Michael. Thanks for having me. So I'm looking forward to grilling you later about partnerships you said you weren't going to tell us the next time we talked. But first, we're going to talk about data today. Perfect. What kind of data are you collecting in Nurse One One? Yeah. So, you know, in healthcare, everything is very data driven and we have a very consumer facing aspect of our product, which anything consumer facing also has to be data driven. And in fact, I, I think that's what the advantage that most consumer platforms have is that they have access to data from the very beginning of when a customer starts their journey. And we collect information that's needed to provide a great patient experience. So when they're coming to us because they want to chat with a nurse about a health question, you know, we know what their concerns are. We, in many cases, track the channel that they came from. So where they started their journey, whether it's a Google search or one of our channel partners, all of that helps us understand where a patient is in their journey. You know, have they already been looking at solutions and that's where they are? They're starting to figure out what solutions are. Or are they just at the very beginning where they don't even know if they really have a, an issue? You know, during the type of conversations that patients have with our nurses most of the time, and I can now jump into why I just said most of the time, but most of the time it's text-based. So the conversations that these patients are having with providers is all recorded. It is encrypted on our website and we have very strong protocols in place of how we can access that data. We don't mine it to learn about what the patient's saying or anything like that. So we've sort of put the brakes on privacy for the sake of the patient. So we're not completely using this data to grow our platform, uh, but it is recorded and partners in some places because of HIPAA and regulations are required to have this information. So that data is also there, but also what's really important to us. And it, and it comes down to why we started this company is, is what is the recommendation that's sent to the patient and where do they go to next? And that is important. So knowing why they came in, what their expectations are of what they're about to, to have to do in their healthcare journey. And then what actually happens is really important for us because at the end of the day, what we're looking for is to help patients navigate to the correct place. So what we really look at is, is this a patient that's about to go to the emergency room? Is their concern something that's actually valid of a visit to an emergency room? And then at the end, are they recommended to go to the emergency room? And do they follow that recommendation to the emergency room? And, and what we're seeing is, you know, this data that we're collecting is great to help improve the patient experience. It's helpful for us to make sure that we're building the right product, that the nurses are providing the right assistance to patients. But what we're seeing now in this data is 
of all the patients who are coming to us, almost 20% of them think that they're about to go to the emergency room. And 95% of those patients are actually recommended to a much better level of care for their concern than the emergency room. And that comes down to a savings, you know, in the United States of $1,300 is the average emergency room visit cost. Uh, and in even more conservative estimates, you know, it's still over $1,000 per visit to an emergency room. And if anyone's ever been to an emergency room, you know, the experience is not ideal. You're not in a queue where you got there first. So you're seen first, you're basically in a queue based off of need. So you might have been there for two hours, but then some giant emergency appears and there's a whole bunch of patients rushed in there that are much more severe than you those patients are going to be seen before you. So the experience at an emergency room is not ideal for most conditions. And so when we look at the fact that we've saved all these patients that experience, send them somewhere that's more appropriate, that could be telemedicine, it could be calling their own doctor, it could be just keep an eye on it. That has a cost savings that's real money, but it also has an experience savings. That's really the essence of what we're trying to solve is help these patients navigate. And the only way we know if we're doing that job right is by collecting this data and making sure that we're seeing the results that we are seeing, which which on average, if you just look at the dollar savings, it's almost $100 every single time a patient uses Nurse one that we're saving either them or their insurance company. And are you looking at that information solely at the aggregate level, or does it ever make sense for you to look at individual people and what path they take? Yeah, it's a combination of both, really. We want to see at an aggregate level how we're performing as a company. When we sell this to uh, clients, the pitch is at an aggregate level. But I think in healthcare, everything is very personal. So you have to dive down into the use cases, into specific situations that occur. So we do a high level look, but then we have a medical team that's always looking and reviewing and auditing these conversations. And so those always bring up, you know, very specific, unique use cases that the data would have hidden if we didn't look in and find out exactly why did this one conversation not go along with the trends or the models that we're building to help predict this? Why is this different? And that allows us to really start to see the human aspect of what we're doing and why this nurse had this type of conversation with this patient. And I think that's important for us as a company to always keep in mind what we're actually building here. It's important from a product standpoint to make sure that we don't lock out those edge cases that although it might not be optimal for the product to keep those in mind for a patient, we want to make sure that those are included. And so we kind of do a little bit of both with the data at the high level sees us the health of the whole system, but diving in, make sure that we're actually doing the job that, that we're signed on to do. You mentioned that you are collecting information about, you know, the final, what they ended up doing. Is that happening within the system or are you following up with people after or getting the information somewhere else? It's a combination of, of two things. And that's, this is a challenge I think startups have or smaller companies have is getting access to the right data. Big companies have the luxury that they have an enormous amount of data. Then they get very good at just knowing which data they, they need to look at. As a startup, you have a lack of data that you have access to. And so what we do in our system is, you know, at the least, we can see what the nurse recommended to the patient. 
but we have a whole series of ways that we reach back out to the patient the next day in, in certain situations to find out what it is they do. And the patient can come in and let us know whether or not they went to the emergency room or they actually did the recommendation. We also within the platform can see if they click on a link. You know, if a patient is recommended to call 911, we can actually see whether or not they clicked on that link to call 911. You know, whether or not they hung up right after they clicked on on that link, uh, whether or not they actually did go to the emergency room. In most situations, we don't have access to it. So we sort of have to estimate how many of them actually followed through. When we have a partnership that's on the other end, in some situation we build into the contract for us to help that partner, we need to know if we're being effective with actually uh, recommending these options to these patients. And so in those situations, we can get information back from them to find out whether or not they did book that doctor's appointment, whether or not they actually did go uh, and, and have a telemedicine visit. And those partnerships are really valuable for us because it does allow us to see exactly how does this affect the patient experience further down the funnel, you know, from our partner standpoint, but also specifically for that patient, making sure that these nurses aren't just recommending things, that they're actually influencing these patients to make the right recommendation. And I, I think that's the real key of why we've always used nurses, nurse practitioners, physician assistants. The personal element that they bring is the influence in making sure that once they leave our product, that they're actually doing the thing that the patient should be doing. Are you also collecting the personal information of the patient that you're speaking to? In certain senses. So we're we're within healthcare and we have regulations on what information we can collect and what we can't. You know, we do have partnerships that are under regulations that can store some of this information that we can't necessarily store. And so it really depends on the type of information, the type of patient that's coming through, the partnerships that we have, the type of information that's being collected. All of that really depends on where, where it gets stored. But in most cases, because we're all digital, because most of these conversations are text-based, it's being stored somewhere. It's just making sure that we're collecting and analyzing the right data when it comes to what decisions we're making, but then also keeping in mind the privacy and regulation concerns that we all have to, to, to think about. What are those data storage regulations? Is it possible to give an overview of um, the kinds of considerations even? <laughs> what am I even yeah. asking? Yeah. <laughs> Can uh, of worms. You know, I think everybody's familiar with HIPAA in terms of what HIPAA means. You know, I, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings of HIPAA. And my jaw is starting to like seize up when I start talking about it because... <laughs> There's different regulations in different states. There's different nuances mm -hmm. to this stuff. You know, I think I've said in past podcasts, everything that we do, we always have our legal team look at anything that we're doing that's different that we've never done before. And this always comes up. What information are we getting in this, in this partnership? How's it being stored? You know, there's HIPAA, which has to do with how the information's shared. In my opinion, it doesn't really cover security of that that data. And this is the part that like drives me crazy is something can be HIPAA compliant, but completely easily hacked into. Yeah, And that in my mind, when I hear this is HIPAA compliant, it just always bothers me. You know, one example that I see in the real world is the use of text messaging. So we built our own proprietary platform that uses end to end encryption. 
So everything that somebody says on our platform gets encrypted. It sits on our server encrypted. It can only be unencrypted by the provider that's having that conversation. It has audit capabilities so that we can unencrypt it when needed. If the provider is no longer on a platform, we can remove their ability to, to unencrypt it. All these types of things we've built into this platform. And there's other solutions out there that use text messaging. And they'll say it's HIPAA compliant. And I say, oh, great. Well, how does Verizon keep this data encrypted on their platform on the patient side? And the answer is always like, well, it's not. (laughs) And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. You can't possibly think that those patient experiences, and this is where I think it gets important to dive down into the patient use cases. You could have somebody who's having a very sensitive conversation and it's going through text messaging and somebody else that's on their family plan could be logging into the Verizon account and looking at it. And I can think of countless situations where that's very dangerous. And yeah, sure, it could be HIPAA compliant. The patient might have clicked the checkbox that said, it's okay if you violate my HIPAA rights. None of that stuff is right. And it's not ethical. And I think that's that's where you get into danger with just blindly following regulations. But in our case, we don't always just want to follow the regulations. We want to follow the essence of it. Because I don't think in some situations they go far enough. And in some situations, I think they're being interpreted differently. And so it's really important for us with all the information that we're collecting to make sure that we're including all the regulations. But then also we step back and we say, what is the ethical thing to do on top of all that? We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Scout APM. Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails apps. I love opening it up and seeing a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before end users ever see them. With the weekly digest and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building great products by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues. Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints N plus one queries, memory bloat, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue. It's pretty great. Give Scout a try for free today, and you'll have the performance insights you've been dreaming of within four minutes. Sign up through scoutapm.com slash giantrobots, and Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Once again, thanks to Scout APM for sponsoring today's episode. Do you consider the data that you collect part of your business plan or a differentiator for your business? I think when it comes down to the patient health information, I don't, Mm -hmm. it isn't part of our our business plan. I think the big opportunities that we have, and, and it's more like the consumer type of data that we can collect to make our product better, it's patient engagement, it's reach. You know, the stuff that I think is really important for us to always get right is, is this an experience that the patient absolutely enjoyed? That's number one, because that's going to want them to engage with this product. What we're seeing in the space now, as we go more into a, a business to business type of model, really everybody in the healthcare industry right now is trying to figure out how do we engage these patients? We're all in quarantine and we're following social distancing, but diseases aren't. Diseases are still out there happening. You know, cancer is not stopping because everybody's in their house. And what you're seeing is this giant trend in the industry where, and this has been going on for a while, and we saw this a long time ago, and I think it was one of our insights that we saw is that patients were coming to us long before they were going to their primary care provider, or in many situations, they didn't have a primary care provider. 
when COVID happened, nobody now, like it literally shut off zero people. I wouldn't say zero, but most people are not going and getting their annual screenings. They're not having these conversations with their providers right now that tip them off into looking into different diseases that could be in the early stages. And so literally the entire industry right now is seeing the supply or, or the demand of patients coming to a very trickle, very slow trickle. And they need a product that engages these patients. And that's really what we do a really great job at. And so the core of what we're doing and the data that's really important to us is making sure that patients are engaged with us. That's the problem we solve. And so the data we collect is always about the experience. Is this something that a patient wants to do again? Is this something that a patient will tell other patients that they should do? Those are the things that I think are really critical to the success of our company. So from a technical perspective, you know, what tools are you using to track and collect that data? Are you able to use off-the-shelf third-party services? You know, it's a mix of a whole bunch of things. We, you know, we're still in the, the stages of using spreadsheets for a lot of this stuff. Our chief medical officer has built predictive models to better understand patient experience outcomes all that stuff is being put into spreadsheets. You know, nothing patient identifying is being put into spreadsheets. It's all mm -hmm. just statistical high level type of information. We are on Google Analytics for the blog and how we're reaching new patients and that sort of stuff. That's always something that we analyze. But most of the, the hard work and heavy lifting that we're doing is on spreadsheets. How do you see that evolving sort of as you scale? That's a good question. <laughs> My experience of, of doing a lot of that type of work has always been on spreadsheets. You know, mm -hmm. e even when I was at RunKeeper, I think it was the beginning of a lot of these third-party tools that were starting to emerge. I think we were the pilot for two or three of those platforms that allows you to analyze a lot of this information. I think my LinkedIn has like a few well-known CEOs of in the analytics space because of those early days of everybody wanting us to be a partner with their beta. But we were still using a spreadsheet back then. And we had millions of patients coming in or millions of users. I'm still thinking patients, millions of runners <laughs> in those days of people who were coming into the platform from different channels, looking at their turn, looking at what they were actually using. So my experience has always been using spreadsheets and I never kept up with the analytic tools that have emerged since those days. And so I think as we scale, it's going to have to be somebody that we bring into the company that has that skill set that's been doing that at, a, at another company that has scaled. I couldn't even tell you the name brands of the companies that could be helping us on that front. I'll probably get mm -hmm. LinkedIn's now from yeah. <laughs> a whole bunch of people who, who have solutions, but I'm not currently looking. I, I think the models that were built on the spreadsheets right now are working for us today, but in the future, we'll have to bring in that type of expertise who knows how to scale on the analytics side. Yeah. Well, it seems like nowadays, and this is just even a shift maybe over the last five years where it's sort of like no one ever talked about, oh, you know, and then this hire will be a data scientist or something like that. That wasn't a thing that really happened, but it's much more common to hear that now. Is that something that you think about? Like we're eventually going to have a data team and data scientists and we're going to start using machine learning and all that kind of stuff, or is that not really part of your plans? Oh, it definitely, it turns out that our chief medical officer has a degree in mathematics. So we luck out in, in that <laughs> sense. We have a marketing person also that has an analytics skill set that, that she has. So it is within our company to, to do some of this lifting, 
but it is in the future, you know, as I always plan out, like, what does this company look like five, 10 years from now? Uh, a data team is absolutely core to, to what we're going to need as we scale. Do you ever see yourselves building a, like an intelligence dashboard that's maybe part of the product? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're building these models right now using the spreadsheets and we have to manually update them. And it is on our to-do list to build it in so that this stuff is part of the product. And there's, there's product reasons for it too. It's not just about scale and a dashboard that we can make sure that things working right. We see features that evolved. If we can predict the experience that this patient should have based off of some, you know, insight that we got either from the last time they were there or, or maybe this is the initial time and we can sort of customize the experience for them. That's sort of a, a longer term thing that we want the product to do. And in order to do that, we don't have to build it ourselves into the product. How has the sort of data points or the events you've been collecting evolved over time? You've talked a lot about in previous episodes, things you've learned and how you've adjusted the product. How has the data changed along with that? I think in the first half, it was always about, you know, where the patient is coming from and how we can reach more patients. We definitely had a more direct consumer business model at the beginning. And we were looking a lot at what people were searching on Google understanding like trends that we were seeing in healthcare of what people were searching, some of the calls to action that got those people off of Google and into Nurse 11. Now that we've shifted more to a B2B type of model, that's become much less important. The knowledge that we gain from that is absolutely the insights that we need to win in the B2B space, understanding what we should and shouldn't say to these patients when they're coming from a partnership channel is important. And the only reason why we know those types of, of things is from all that work that we did acquiring these patients off of a Google search. Some of them aren't always how the industry thinks consumers behave or what they should be seeing. And so that helps us in these partnerships. But now our partnerships are more driven by the problems that our partners are having. So when we have a conversation with a very large healthcare company, somebody that's in the space, it's more understanding the trends that they're seeing and the problems that they're having and why they're coming to us to solve them. So that has shifted completely away from us acquiring this information from patient behavior and more listening to what they're saying in sales meetings. Uh, I think that's probably our biggest shift that we've seen over the past 24 months. When the these partners come to you, is data part of what they're looking for or insights from data? Is that part of the key value for them? It isn't. It comes up. I think as we start to have more conversations and the deal's about to close, it's always thrown in sort of at the end of like, oh, yeah, that's right. Actually, you guys are collecting some really valuable data that we don't have access to anywhere else. You know, we threw this into the agreement. Can you provide that? It's always an, an afterthought that we're seeing. Hmm. The number one problem that we're seeing them coming to us is that they need to engage patients and help guide them and navigate the patients themselves. And that is absolutely the number one reason why we're seeing so many partnerships come in right now. Second, that we can scale. And so there is no other telemedicine solution out there that 
within eight seconds, you can be in a live conversation with a healthcare provider. And that scales nationwide to thousands of, of patients at any given time. Like that is the secondary solution. Patient engagement is number one. And then our ability to scale is number two. Data always comes in afterwards. And I think this is pretty cliche with most companies is you've got to get the product out there and then you start thinking about what what information should we be collecting. Mm-hmm. It's not always the best way of doing it, but that seems to be the status quo that we're seeing. What about from the investor side? Because I know a lot of investors get really excited about the data play or strategy that you know a startup might have. Was that in part of investor conversations? I think it has in the past. I think the investors who care about that are usually later stage investors. I think, and this was always like the issue that I had every time I was fundraising was, you know, well, show me all this, this insight and this data. And, and part of me would always be like, well, let's not miss what we're doing here, right? Like the real giant problem that we have is patient engagement. And we can show you those stats and we can show you what that looks like. But, you know, beyond that, I think... Long term, once this thing scales and once it's big, we'll have a whole bunch of data and then we can do something with it. That always feels funny for me to pitch. And so I always kind of never pitched that in our in our meetings. It's it's clear. I think it's obvious that once you have a big scaling product that patients are using, that there's data and value in that for the company. But I think we're just too early to be pitching that right now as sort of the the value that we bring. I did have more questions on regulations and privacy, which we've touched on already. You know, you mentioned a lot of digital health companies coming out with, you know, maybe not enough privacy considerations. And I'm actually shocked to hear you say the regulations don't go far enough because it seems like a highly regulated space. Are there big problem areas that maybe emerging founders should look out for or, you know, common pitfalls when starting up a digital health startup and the kind of data you can be collecting or using? I think we've seen that in many places. There's a lot of regulations about if you're providing healthcare services that you have to have an electronic health record. You know, you can't just build a database and call it your electronic health record. There's regulations and steps involved to becoming an electronic health record. And in those situations, you have to partner with an existing electronic health record. Or if you're building your own, then you have to go through the regulation steps to build that. And, you know, in order to be a health record, it's it's collecting what they call personal health information, which is anything that's identifying who the patient is. And then even stuff that might seem benign to most people, but I had a doctor's appointment last week and he checked my temperature, right? That information right there, it's identifiable to who I am. And that last week I had my temperature checked. It doesn't even have to be what that temperature was. That right there is enough to be considered uh, personal health information. And I think the combination of consumer being very aggressive with what type of information is collected with that moving into healthcare. I think entrepreneurs need to make sure that they have legal guidance as they start rolling out a lot of this stuff. It's not so much the data. I think the data that is being collected is very easily understood of what is patient health information and what isn't. I think that is a simple one. I think where it goes further than that is some of the state-by-state regulations of who can be providing 
healthcare services? Uh, when can they be providing those services? What steps need to be involved? What information needs to be recorded ahead of time? You know, what type of provider needs to collect what type of information? All of that stuff changes state by state. And that is a challenge with any company that's jumping in into the space. My recommendation would be to pick a state, one state that either you have demand for your product and a partnership that you want to launch in or launch in a state where you're able to have more leeway with regulations so that you can get it right before you move into another state that might be more regulated. Or on the flip side, start in a heavily regulated state so that as you move to other states, you don't have to worry about constantly having to add more changes. That would be my recommendation is to start small geographically, really have a legal partner who can help you understand what it is you're doing in that state. It's just going to take quite a bit of money. Lawyers aren't cheap. And you might think that a small change on your product isn't now suddenly violating a regulation, but I've been doing this for a while and I've learned that even, even subtle changes that you don't think from one project to the next aren't going to violate anything. Suddenly you find out that it's violating something that's very serious and and heavily regulated and enforced. So I, I think that would be my advice is to make sure that you have someone who, who can help guide you on that legal side of things and start small, start in one state. Don't try to launch nationwide and then figure it out. That's an even bigger challenge, I think. Yeah. I saw some controversy this summer over the boom in the teletherapy apps. And there was a New York times piece around, you know, how private are these therapy conversations that are taking place in the apps and who has access to those. And it seems really difficult, to be honest, you know, where's the line between a private conversation versus, you know, abstracting information that can be used to improve the the product? Yeah, it's a challenge. There's a lot of information. And I, I, to go back to your question about investors, there's always a question of like, well, have you mined the actual conversation between patients and providers? Because there's probably an enormous value of, of information that if if we were a purely non-healthcare consumer company, we could be minding and really understanding how to improve the product with that insight. But we're in healthcare and our ethics, even if it doesn't violate HIPAA, we could always put in some sort of process where we're able to mine this information for ourselves and still be okay in terms of HIPAA compliance. But we've never we've never done that because, again, there's the ethical side of things as well. Do we want this data being pulled out? There's the risk of if we pull this data out and start mining it, what are the chances that it could be compromised? You know, the risk starts to go up. And so all those things we always have to consider where it's just we're in a space, I think, that there's so much value to be created that we don't have to sort of push the boundaries in terms of privacy or regulations ever. I always tell my lawyers that if something's a gray area, I don't want to play in it. There's no advantage to us playing in something that's undefined or questionable or, you know, well, we don't know what regulators will think if you do this. Like Anything that's in that realm, I always just say, it's just not worth it. There's so much low-hanging fruit to fix in healthcare that it's just not an incentive for us to even go close to. You know, I think you have a very patient-centric approach to that. Do you make an effort to communicate that with users and to communicate how their data is being used or are the expectations there that go sort of above and beyond the regulations? 
or do you not bother them with that? Yeah, we have our privacy statements. I think when you're dealing with consumers, sometimes by putting it out there that, and this is actually a lesson that I have friends that were in the data privacy world where they, they had to learn the hard way, where they said, when we started bragging about our encryption and our privacy, it suddenly became aware to patients that, oh, maybe I should be worrying about this type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's not always the messaging that is important to us. So when someone comes to Nurse 11, what they're looking for is a friendly conversation with a nurse that is going to help them make the right decision and empower themselves to make the right decision on what to do in healthcare. I think it just falls on our responsibility to make sure that we're following regulations and that we're not violating their privacy. I think to put that messaging always up front, maybe it might convert some people who are very worried about that at that moment. But I think for the majority of people to put that messaging instead of other messaging that might be more important to them, it's always a balance. And, and I think you only have you know a few words that they'll see or a sentence or two that they'll see you know on a landing page mm-hmm. or a header that is going to convert them or make them feel at ease or give them the information that they actually want at that moment. And so we have to be very selective with what's in there. And it has actually never been something that's always stated by a patient at that moment of what information I'm giving is worrisome to me. And I think that's also the responsibility of anybody moving into healthcare is you have these patients who are sick, they're worried, they're stressed, anxiety is super high, and you can't take advantage of that and risk you know, their privacy at that moment where, where they might be vulnerable. I've heard of uh, some healthcare companies having patient advocates as a role. Is that something that you've considered? You know, there's also the caretakers. One of the benefits of Nurse One One is that a lot of patients that come into our platform, especially in, in pediatrics, it's it's always a caretaker, whether it's a parent or someone who's asking questions on behalf of a child. But as you start looking at older populations, the caretaker is always involved. So it's not always the patient that's coming through our platform. Mm. We haven't messaged all that much. We haven't targeted patient advocates or caretakers in our messaging, but we do make the product so that if you are a caretaker and you're not the primary patient, there's nothing in the messaging or the experience that's going to make you feel like you shouldn't be there as the caretaker. So that's some of the stuff that, that we do where we'll ask, what's the age of the patient? We won't assume that it's the patient who's coming in and say, like, what's your age? Because that might be confusing to some people. So I think that's most of what we've always seen. There are some partnerships that we've been exploring where it's probably most likely the caretaker that is involved uh, with our product. But that's coming through a channel partner. And so most of that work, messaging and working with those caretakers are being dealt with by the partnering channel. Hey, Giant Robots fans. We're going to take a quick second to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. As a listener of our show and just in general, I know you care about the business of great products. Hover wants to make sure you have a great domain for these products as Hover is jumping off point for tons of entrepreneurs. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from when building your brand online. No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. You'll find excellent technical support available to answer any questions you may have. Their support team doesn't upsell you. They only work hard to help you get online. With free Whois privacy protection, a clean UX UI, and monthly sales on popular top-level domains, 
It's hard not to see why Hover is a popular choice for people starting all kinds of businesses. I love the extent and variety they offer with over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. Grab a domain name at hover.com slash giant robots. Get a 10% discount with our referral link on all new purchases. Make a name for yourself with Hover. When you sign up these different partners, and they sound, for the most part, they're actually pretty different. They're working in different spaces. I assume then that there's kind of different levels of agreement in terms of information shared based on how it's going to be used. Is that accurate? That's very accurate. We have partnerships where we're the first touch point of the patient and we have a whole bunch of information. It's always a challenge. We've had partnerships where it's gotten kicked off and suddenly there's a request from them for a whole bunch of information that we feel is just too too personal and we haven't baked it into the agreement. We haven't baked it into our privacy policies with these patients and the agreements that they're signing on to. So it has in, in many places really hurt partnerships because we're not willing to just be like, yeah, sure. Here's a whole bunch of information that we understand why you're collecting it. But when we look at it, we just say, is this, is this the right thing to be sharing? Will these patients be okay if they knew that this information was being shared? Is it obvious to them that this information is being shared? So most of the time we always fall back on like, no, we're not going to share this information. This is very private health information that we don't want to share. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. if it's at a large aggregate, we'll share it. But then as things get filtered down into cohorts, sometimes it becomes very close to being shareable. So we've always put like thresholds on some things where if this cohort has less than 20 patients within a week, because it's so specific, we're not going to share the information because then you could start doing some sort of like back end analysis and figuring out exactly which patient had what concern. So we always put these like little thresholds in the agreements to make sure that even at an aggregate, we're not accidentally mm-hmm. allowing this information to be reverse engineered. I think all this stuff is stuff that we've always considered in these partnerships. It's not ideal. It does slow down these partnerships. I think some of the partnerships would have had a lot more value to them if we had ironed them out at the beginning. But that's this is a space that we've chosen to, to play in. So we need to, we need to consider all these things. And I've asked this before, but I'll ask it again because it was like over a month ago, which is forever. Does the nurse ever get replaced with AI? Never. Never. Still never. Never. <laughs> never. We're building in things that it's allowing the nurse. And, and I now have to also add, it could be a physician assistant. And our nurses have always been nurse practitioners. Very few of them are registered nurses. But the nurse is getting more and more capabilities. It's helping them do their job better. And that's where our automation is focused, helping the patient before they come into the product, you know, optimize their experience. That is something that we'll put AI onto. But when it comes down to it, patients need comfort. They need that personalized experience. And at the end of the day, they need to be influenced and empowered. And I have not even in the the deep, dark labs of MIT seen Mm -hmm. anything that can replace what they do. And that is the core of what we want. We want patients to feel comfortable and engaged with this platform. And there is nothing that I've seen that's even closely, remotely close to the experience that a nurse could provide. 
You've talked before about how, if anything, your platform helps empower nurses and, and make them more valuable in the process than they sometimes might otherwise be, because they're not necessarily able to intervene in a way that your product is is allowing them to. It does. It, it allows them to reach out and be engaged with the patient, in many cases, much earlier in the journey of a patient. And it's almost like any business or any type of, of modeling where the earlier you have the right information and, and we're talking about data and really at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're providing the right data to the patient and the nurse is providing enough information to these patients super early in their journey so that they can start being empowered to make the right decision for themselves. That is really where nurses are amazing at, you know, nurses have this understanding of medicine and can provide the proper care from a medical standpoint. But what they're really great at is converting that information and that insight that they have and the experience that they have into information that not only a patient can understand, but they can influence that patient to use that information the right way. That allows these nurses to do things that they can't do when they're in a doctor's office or in the hospital. They don't get to see these patients until they show up. So they're, they're being allowed to have these conversations and engage with patients much earlier and more often. I think those are really the benefits, you know, we're getting into now where they're providing care through our platform. So we started off with only informational, some of the projects that we have now, we have medical oversight and provider groups that we're allowing onto our platform. And that's allowing these nurses to also provide care through nurse on one. So it's bringing nurses into the digital age. And we look at all these different digital solutions that are out there and what they're missing is really the greatest benefit that I think the healthcare industry has seen ever since the invention of the nurse is that personal touch and experience that a nurse provides and digital from what we see is missing that, you know, they sort of are throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit where the real amazing experience that patients have whenever they're getting care is in many times the nurse. And so we're allowing these nurses to really become a part of this digital scene and to innovate in, in the digital health. So you just mentioned new partnerships that you have with providers. Last time we talked, you mentioned that you were going to be launching two big partnerships. Has that gone on the timeline you were expecting? Yeah. One of them got delayed by a week, but mm -hmm. it, it's launched. It's live. Unfortunately, not today can I speak of it, but it is live Gosh, and working. dang it. Uh, you know, when I think of the future of this company, we, we put our heads down when we started to see this trend of the healthcare industry changing. And we said, we need to change a little bit of what we've done historically in order to fit perfectly into this, we need to become more B2B focused. You know, all those things that we did, we're actually live right now. I can't give too much details out. I'm actually not even sure where, where I can hint. <laughs> well, I think you had mentioned last time the focus was helping really big players go direct to consumer in a way they weren't. Yep. That is 100% what we're doing. There are patients that are getting care in their homes without having to leave, without even having to go to the pharmacy, without having to pay anything additional. And they're getting care that previously they would have to have known to go to their doctor's office. And I think in a lot of places, they probably would have gone to the emergency room. And now they don't even have to leave their house. They don't have to pay anything. 
the biggest partnership that we've launched does exactly that. And I think in a very unique way with some really big players. And I don't know what the messaging will be when this launches publicly. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if we'll be mentioned. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're so small in, in the realm of all the great providers and groups that have gotten together to to make this happen. We actually looked at some of the marketing and the only request that we're going to try to fight a little bit on is that it doesn't say nurses. It says <laughs> doctors, which, oh. which we see a lot in uh, healthcare. And it's actually not being powered by any of the doctors. It's all our nurses. But we're so far removed from the big players that we didn't get the chance to have that say. But we will put that in there. But that's just how big of an effort this is. But literally every single patient that is going through it is going to have a touch point with Nurse 1-1. They might not know it, but we'll be there helping a lot of of patients through this. Yeah, I was going to say, is it essentially, does it appear like a white label tool? In a way. And so not only has this been a change for us in terms of the partnership realm of what we're doing and working with provider groups so that our nurses can actually give care, basically full telemedicine consultations, we're also now using voice for the first time. And so this is our first platform change where we now have the ability for these nurses to have a phone call with patients, which has really changed a whole bunch of things for us internally. But it was something that we knew we needed to do going forward. And and so the nurses have conversations with patients over a phone call. And so there is no place for us to put this branding on the patient. But it is still using our platform the ability to find the right nurses going through our platform, the scale to find these nurses in real time is going through our platform. And so that's that's really the essence. At the end of the day, we're still connecting these patients really quickly with a nurse. And that's that's the core of what we're trying to do is solve the problem, not necessarily build the brand for what we're doing at first, but to really help patients mm-hmm. uh, understand what their options are and, and get the proper care. So it sounds like you've looked at the opportunity as you moved into B2B and you've had these opportunities for these partnerships and made the calculation that that it's worth it for you to be involved even if you're not exposed or or it's not building your brand because of what it opens up for you in the future. Yeah, and I think the other driving force in this too is is just the climate. Mm-hmm. We don't have the luxury in this COVID world of spending the time to build up our brand. The pandemic is happening now. It might get worse over the winter. If we're going to solve this problem for the situation that's at hand, we need to partner with the existing players. The patients don't necessarily know our branding. They know their branding. And so it might be beneficial for us to get our branding involved so that people know that we exist. But you know, that's our own goals. That's not the goal of the patient. And so we sort of take a backseat on that. And I think that comes back to us just understanding the mission at hand. What are we trying to solve? What are we trying to fix? Nowhere in our mission statement does it say to create a brand. And so (laughs) that is not going to stop us from our mission. So I think that was a big decision. I think going forward, we definitely see places in in this experience. And I think this has been, been part of of the information and the data to keep that on theme that we're learning in these partnerships is that there's still an enormous amount of gaps that are in the whole stack that we're now a part of that we can better fill than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And as we start filling those places within the stack, there'll be opportunities for us to get our brand in there. There'll be more opportunities for us to expand the capabilities of our product and to allow the nurses to work at the top of their license. And that is really the 
the benefit of getting into these partnerships at this point is that we're seeing the right information. We're, we're understanding the problem much better and we're seeing how we can grow as a company as well. And I imagine since you've shifted to full-time, almost full-time B2B, you know, brand recognition from the individual patients is less important. And now you're thinking about how do you make sure providers know about you and know your brand. And that's a totally different tactic. Yeah. I think the one thing that just fundamentally, it hasn't been because of a business decision. The providers are on Nurse 1-1. They know the platform, Mm -hmm. they know the brand. That's just how the system works, that that's required. And, And so building the relationships with those providers is really important to us. You know, there's a lot of moving parts that have to happen to keep this stuff happening in real time so that you can get a nurse that calls you back, not within hours, but within minutes. And that requires us to really understand the experience that a nurse has to deal with uh, when making now a phone conversation. And so to make our product better, we have to be in touch with them so that they can provide us feedback. We're starting to learn and we're seeing this, you know, this is probably the most obvious part that we're seeing is that the partners don't have the experience of managing a large network of nurse practitioners and PAs. And we're sort of being a filter for a lot of information that's being sent to them because we need to make sure it's going to be information that will resonate with them. That will be an incentive that actually incentivizes them to do what, what it is they should be doing. We're seeing a whole lot of situations like that where we're just glad that we're there. Otherwise, I think there would have been a few places where this would have been a disaster. Mm. And so that's really important to us as we start pushing more and more features and capabilities onto our platform. Keeping these nurses plugged into the product evolution is going to be critical for us to keep them engaged, to keep them on our platform, and ultimately to allow them to do what they need to do, which is talk to patients and and really take time to understand what the patient's needs are. That's really the core of what we're doing. And so building relationship providers is really important there. Anything exciting on the horizon that you can share? Other than all that. um, (laughs) Yeah. What's next, Michael? Let's go. I was saying earlier before I got onto the podcast that everything that we're doing right now, we need this like legal review because nothing is always perfectly the same every time we roll something out. But we're definitely seeing a clear pattern in where it is Nurse 1-1 can benefit like the new healthcare ecosystem. And so everything that we're looking at right now has this same part that we're doing. It's being the part of the solution that engages the patient, that influences them, and that we can scale and provide true full telemedicine solutions within these platforms. So everything that we're looking at in the future, and there's the two big ones that we've been working on. Uh, There's a couple of smaller ones that we've been working on. And then I would say there's this inkling of an enormous, I would say another enormous one that has recently come in that all fit the same theme. And so it's really an exciting time for us right now to be in this space and to have been, you know, spending all these years really understanding the patient and the providers and how to engage them to be in this position today during this situation where we can actually really dig in and help patients and help our partners as well. Awesome. Well, we look forward to catching up with you next month. Yeah, likewise. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. And me on Twitter at CPytel. How can people find uh, Nurse11 and follow along if they want to get in touch? Yeah, we are Nurse11.com. Uh, that's probably the best place to go. We're also on Twitter at Nurse11 is our Twitter handle. Uh, Instagram, we're always putting out consumer information there as well. It's Nurse11. Awesome. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.